All right. Well, that has been good for me. I hope it has been good for you guys this morning, church. Uh, if it's been good for you to be here and to worship the Lord, can you just say amen or yeah or whatever? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it is uh, Memorial Day weekend, and I didn't really think too long and hard about that video saying, this is Memorial Day, and the fact that someone was going to be saying, no, it's not, it's tomorrow. <clears throat> but um, yeah, we are very thankful for those who have given their lives, and as Josh said, um, a debt we cannot pay, and a great reminder of the ultimate sacrifice of life given by uh, a man who was fully man and fully God. His name is Jesus, and we wouldn't have any point in being here today if it weren't for him. Uh, my name is Keaton. I'm one of the pastors here, and we have been in a series entitled The Amazing Miracles of Jesus. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Todd shared with us a story about Jesus calming the sea and the storm. And in that uh, sermon, he gave really several great illustrations. It was, it was kind of the clinic put on, really, in the way of illustrations with the tennis ball and just all that was going on there. Um, it was really, really good. And then last week, uh, Pastor Roger preached about Jesus' resurrection, maybe the biggest deal when it comes to miracles that there is. And then we got to witness a picture of that because so many people came to be baptized last week, which was just a tremendous opportunity for us to worship together and to hopefully spur them along and for them to declare unashamed that they are followers of Jesus. And so it's, it's really neat, but at the same time, um, we had these two sermons preached, um, and really both were kind of water-related, both with excellent illustrations and so this morning, I felt compelled that I needed to teach a water-related miracle. However, maybe one of the natural options would be when Jesus walked on water. But I have news for you. I cannot demonstrate that. I can't. Uh, I have no good illustrations to demonstrate that. And if you thought for a moment that maybe I could, you're just, you're so kind. But that's not going to happen. Uh, today we are going to look at a water-related miracle, though, and I thought it would be appropriate, since it is Memorial Day weekend, to talk about when Jesus' disciples caught a mess of fish. Do you guys know what a mess of fish is? It's like, I don't know, a pride of lions or whatever. Those are more dignified terms. This is just an Arkansas good boy term, a mess of fish. That means a bunch, enough to make the grease stink, as I was told growing up. And I, I hope that this will encourage you all, uh, you fishermen, who you're just dedicated followers of Jesus, and you came home early from the lake, and you thought, what in the world am I doing here? Apparently the air is too cold in here for some folks this morning, and you're like, this is a mess. I should have just stayed on the lake and stayed fishing, but you are here because you are the true, dedicated, locked-in followers of Jesus, or maybe for you fishing widows in the room, we're going to give you guys all a little ammunition, okay, when you meet back up with your buddies or your husband or whoever it is to say, hey, look, y'all might have been fishing, but we had our own little fishing experience today at Holland Chapel. So let's talk fishing. Would that be all right? 
Nobody. It's like, you shouldn't have even brought it up, man. I'm still bitter that I'm here and not on the lake. You shouldn't have even said anything. Uh, turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1 while I shed this in your monitor. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go where it is deeper, let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed the boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. Father in heaven, God, we pray that you would you would speak to us through your word this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit's work would prevail in our hearts, that our worship of you would be all the more exuberant and joyful and looking for transformation now as we give attention to your word as it has been at all this entire time we've been gathered. We pray that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have this scene before us. Verse 1 says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of Galilee. We've got a couple of pictures on the screen for you. There's a picture of the Sea of Galilee and Lake Washita. So there's the first picture. Here's the second picture. The Sea of Galilee and Lake Washita. If you think the first picture is the Sea of Galilee... I want you to raise your hand. All right. Need to see the second. It's like the when you go to the eye doctor and they're like, which is clearer? Option one, option two, three, or four. So if you think the first picture is the Sea of Galilee, raise your hand. All right. Everyone who thinks the second picture is the Sea of Galilee, raise your hand. All right. If you said the first picture you are correct. The first picture is the Sea of Galilee. Some of you, I think, thought I was going to trick you a little bit, maybe. 
That was not the intention. Um, I think it's pretty cool to see that there. And then we've got some more pictures that are a little more familiar maybe looking. So here's what the Sea of Galilee looks in the form of a map. And if you uh, were to read the chapter before we're in now, you would see uh, reference to the city of Capernaum. I don't know if you can see that from that far away. But this is kind of the area Jesus is in at the time that we're catching him in this story. And then we have another picture of Lake Washita. And you may be thinking, Keaton, why are you, you're really just feeding fuel to the fire that's burning in me to not be here listening to you talk. Well, although these lakes look a lot different, they actually are really about the same size. They cover the same amount of area approximately. They're roughly the same depth. The Sea of Galilee is a little bit bigger, but they're very different, differently shaped, right? Um, anyway, just to give us a frame of reference to kind of set the scene for us, this is what's happening where Jesus is and where he's teaching these crowds. I have uh, been to Lake Washita. I have never been to the Sea of Galilee, but a couple of days ago I went to the Sea of Silver Springs, which is just a little bitty pond on hole seven at Silver Springs. And my kiddos, they caught uh, a handful of brim, and they're going to roll some pictures there for you to see. They were pumped. I bet they could probably caught two dozen brim. That's like the best $4 you can spend is on a sleeve of crickets. And they had a big, big time. They think they're like the real deal anglers too. And now I'm going to have to teach them that fishing doesn't always mean catching. But anyway, that'll be another lesson for another day. And uh, I think the last picture up there, I couldn't help it. And I'm going to get in trouble for, do, for doing this, but I had to show it. So if you'll roll that one up there, Alex. <laughs> Listen, like I say, we probably caught two dozen brim. We caught one bass, if you can call it that, that little fingerling, and she took a picture. I would not have done that. There's no way I would be seen in that. I started to show her like the trick, of, and I, it's not worth it. It's not gonna work. Uh, but we had a big time, and so uh, believe it or not, this was the... Uh, the winning angler, the winning angler, this was their tool of choice. So if that tells you anything, dad was not the winner of the day, although this is a sharp-looking setup here. Uh, one of our little girls, I think, maybe caught the most fish, but she hasn't been told that yet because I don't want her to rub it in with her, with her siblings. All right, so back to our story. One day, Jesus is preaching by the shore of Galilee, and this great crowd comes on him. And so uh, Jesus has been performing miracles. He's kind of new on the scene, but word has gotten around that he, he, there's something different about this guy. And many of the people gathered around, they're, they're all in. They want to know everything they can know about this Jesus because they are sensing something special about him. There are people, however, it would serve to reason, they're not buying it really. They don't think he is who everybody thinks he is or who he says he is. They're coming maybe as critics or whatever. Regardless, the point is there's this huge crowd around, and Jesus can't quite speak to them well. And so he notices a couple of boats that aren't being used. Uh, the fishermen that own those boats are gone, cleaning up because they've had a long night of fishing, and Jesus recognizes an opportunity. And so he steps into the, one of the boats, and he asks the owner, Simon, to push it away from the bank a little bit so as to give him kind of this amphitheater effect where he can preach and everybody can hear him and what he has to say. 
but he, he basically commandeers this vessel from Simon Peter. Um, and then verse 3, as I said, he steps into this boat and, and gets uh, this opportunity to speak. So let me ask you this. Jesus knows everything, right? Two people are convinced. The rest of them are like, this is another trick. I'm not falling for your tricks. Jesus knows everything. He's not blind. As a matter of fact, he heals blind people, but he hadn't done that yet. We're not that far into the gospel of Luke yet. So he clearly knows he's asking a favor at an inopportune time, right? These fishermen aren't at their boats because they're cleaning and mending their nets. And yet he's like, hey, I'm going to jump in this boat for a second. And also, if you don't mind, can you push it out? This is an inopportune time, right? Simon's been fishing all night. He's tired. He's exhausted. How many of you have family uh, or friends that ask you favors at the most inopportune time? You can raise your hand. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, come on. Do you, you don't even know. I've, anyway, so Jesus does this, basically. But it really doesn't matter if things are the most convenient for Simon and his buddies, Jesus came for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God. And that was the most important thing. If you were to look back at chapter 4, the last several verses, he talks about this. He's healing, he's casting out demons, and he says this when the people are begging him not to leave. Jesus says this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. And so he continues traveling around preaching in different synagogues. That was the most important thing. It didn't matter that this was inconvenient. It's not that he didn't care for these folks. There was just more important, are you ready? Fish to fry. I'm sorry. I've I apologize for that. It just came to me, and I had to get it out. <clears throat> Verse 4, when he had finished preaching the kingdom, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Simon says, Master, we worked hard all night, and we didn't catch anything. This is crucial. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. So when we moved into the house we're in now, we basically completely remodeled this place. And part of that remodel involved putting in a gas cooktop that was formerly electric. And so we had to run a gas line. So um, I'm in the crawl space, probably a half a day's work probably. And it was, it was in the winter. And so I'm under the crawl space, installing this gas line, keeping in mind some mantras from plumbers I know that, are basically trying to keep me from killing myself and my family or whatever. And I put in this gas line. It's cold. It's dirty. It's just a mess. Get it all in. I turn the gas back on. Everything works. I kind of wipe my brow, like not because it's hot and I'm sweaty, but because I'm relieved that no one's going to be hurt. And we get that in. I go inside. I get showered. I sit down in the chair. And it's like a little too cool in the house. And it hits me. Anybody know what I forgot to do? Forgot to light the pilot on my furnace. Oh, but I just showered. I was disgusting. So what did I do? Put my boots back on. And it's not a big deal, but it's inconvenient, right? 
Imagine if you're, uh, we have some in the room that used to be or are HVAC techs, and you've been working on a unit all day long, and you, I don't know if the, let's say the problem is a, I don't know, it's got a leak or there's condensation issues or whatever. I don't know what the problem is. But you've got a problem, you've been working all day long, can't quite, cannot quite get it to work. Or maybe you are a, a, an engineer and you make pipe fittings or parts for heavy equipment or something and you, on paper or in your CAD program or whatever, it seems like it should work, but when you go to test that part to failure, it just keeps failing and you can't figure it out. You've been working for months on this and it won't work. Or, or let's say you're a teacher. No! All the teachers in the room are like, don't you dare go there. It's only two days removed. We're not talking about teachers don't exist, school doesn't exist, students don't exist. So we'll drop the teacher thing. But you're this HVAC tech or you're this engineer and you've got this issue and you're, you're uh, capable of fixing it. Like you have the knowledge, the experience or what have you to, to make it work, but it's just not working out. And let's say a preacher walks up to you and is like, hey, and I'm not talking about a Roger Taylor preacher, okay? Preacher, pastor, servant, mechanic extraordinaire. I'm not talking about a Grant Yaza who's preacher, pastor, nurse, tech whiz. Like you put a wrench in a rag in Roger's hand or uh, you put a computer mouse or a camera in Grant's hand, you might as well have handed a magician their hat and wand. Like, I don't know what they do. Wave around a little bit, tap, tap, and it just works. I don't know how they do that. But... It's not one of them, okay? I show up on the scene, and I'm like, hey, so I see you're having this problem. How about this? Have you tried taking the part off, turning it around, put it back on? Just try it. What are you going to do? Like, all the restraint you have to keep from kicking me in the teeth. You're like, what are you talking about, Keaton? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And now, albeit I don't think our Savior Jesus is dumb, nor does he ever say anything dumb, that's kind of the feeling, right? Jesus is a preacher and a non-practicing carpenter. What in the world does Jesus know about fishing? And he says the most simple thing. Hey, why don't you try, I don't know, throwing your net out again. What? What does Jesus know about fishing? Well, Jesus created the fish, and he created the fishermen. Jesus knows all, and he was about to do something very, very special. Jesus was about to turn Peter's failure into a phenomenon. He was going to turn Peter's miss of the fish into a miracle worthy of praising God. So not only does Jesus commandeer this boat from Peter for his own usage purpose, but then he has the nerve to offer this unsolicited advice. Priscilla Schreier talking about these verses had this to say. Jesus got into the boat that Simon Peter got out of. The thing that caused Peter frustration, Jesus saw as an opportunity. For us today, that hard, grueling work that you're doing on your boat, whether it's a boat, whether it's your job, whether it's this season of life you're going through that is too difficult, whatever it is, that hard and grueling thing that's it's just not panning out, you're putting in all this effort and you're seeing no return on that investment, things aren't working the way you want them to work. Jesus wants to use that hard thing 
for his purpose. You'll see on the screen, Jesus wants to use your platform as a pulpit to proclaim his power. Jesus was no commercial fisherman, but Jesus is a miracle worker. Amen, church? And Jesus has bigger fish to fry than our little catch. He wants to use this platform to proclaim the gospel because that was most important. Jesus allowed Simon Peter to be unsuccessful the night before in filling his boat with fish so that he could fit himself in. Jesus made sure that Simon had no fish on the deck of that boat so that there would be room for his feet to step in and to do something that was worthwhile to do something that mattered. And then he invites Peter to be even more uncomfortable, going against all he knew as a fisherman. And he says, how about you cast your net and go out into the, to the deep water to do it? Now, everybody knows you don't fish in deep water. You fish in the shallow water. The sha-sha-sha-sha-shallow. Sorry. I, I, sorry. But he invites him out to the deep. This just doesn't make sense. Verse 6. But then their nets were full of fish. And they began to tear so many fish that they loaded them into two boats and they were about to sink. And Simon comes before the Lord and he says, please, leave me. I'm a sinful man. He knew he was just a common fisherman. And at the same time, a wretched sinner. Jesus, however, was obviously a man of God. And Peter did not belong in his presence. Have you come to Jesus aware of the fact that you are a sinful person? Have you come to Jesus admitting your sin before him? Have you come to Jesus and repented of your sins so that you could follow Jesus? Peter recognized his sinfulness. He knew he didn't deserve to be in the presence of this holy man of God. Listen, if you haven't done that as well, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not. You're, you're not in the boat with Jesus. You're not even part of the fishing team. You're like the guy that's close to the platform, whispering in the ear of the next person, hey, I know that guy up there that's got the winning bag on the podium. I know them. But what does that get you? That gets you nowhere. Just because you know the guy with the winning bag, just because you know who Jesus is, you know of him, the Bible says the demons know Jesus and they tremble. We have to have dealt with our sin or else it doesn't matter. If you haven't had a reckoning with your sinfulness, then you really aren't following Jesus. Jesus always dealt with the sin as he was dealing with the sinner, the soon-to-be son or daughter. 
If we're leaving the truth of people's sinfulness out of our gospel preaching, then listen to me, church. It is not really the gospel. It's not. If our family and friends and coworkers and neighbors aren't being told about the awful condition that their sin puts them in in front of a holy God, then how are they ever going to know that they have a need for this qualified and capable rescuer? for this Savior, for Jesus. They're not. They're not. If we don't realize we are stuck, lost, dead in our sin, we have no need for Jesus. We're just pointing from afar, saying, I know that guy. And that's not the new life that Jesus wants to give. But listen to this, once our sin has been dealt with, there is no more qualified candidate to be used by God than this now humble servant who is in awe that God would see and choose them. Listen to this in verse nine, for he, Peter, was awestruck, yes, by the fish, but by Jesus. And so were the others with him, James and John. And then Jesus gave this reply. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And then they left everything and they followed Jesus. We, we would all love to see a miracle like this today, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Uh, like this one or the ones we talked about the last two weeks, there's something like 35-ish other miracles that we see recorded in Scripture. That would be amazing, right, to see miracles like that today? We would love that. But my question is, would we really? We've already established, and the Savior we serve, Jesus, has said he had more important things to do putting a bunch of fish in a couple of boats was just a byproduct of his ministry. He was sent for the purpose of preaching the good news of the gospel, of preaching the kingdom of God. And so I asked this church, do we really, really want to see a miracle when God our Father is saying, I want you to go fishing? Do we really want to see a miracle when we have clear commands to share the good news of the gospel with others and we, we are not doing that. God has said over and over again in his word how important this is. And listen, these miracles, they were great and their purpose was to validate Jesus as the actual son of God. They were to validate his ministry and his message. They were just a conduit to grab the attention of the people so that he could send the real life-giving message that they needed to turn to God. They gained him an audience so that he could do the real work of proclaiming the kingdom of God. We want to see signs and wonders, but God wants to hear his kingdom preached. He wants to hear his kingdom talked about across the fence to the neighbors. He wants to hear 
people having spiritual conversations with their family as they sit over a bunch of barbecue or whatever you do this weekend. That's what would please the Father. We need to be on the fishing team, not just sitting in the bleachers somewhere. This guy named Greg, <clears throat> he and I used to attend church together, and he helped on our team of leading worship. And in the summertime, Greg would be absent quite a bit. And I found out he was going fishing. I was like, come on, man. I, you're missing church to go fishing? I'm going to get there. Just hang with me for a second. And so I went and talked to Greg. I was like, Greg, what's the deal, man? We really could use you. Like, you are a big contributor to us worshiping the Lord well in spirit and in truth. What's happening? I heard you've been fishing. <laughs> and he said, I have been fishing. He said, you know what? Last week I took my son's best friend, just he and I. He said, and I've taken my family before, people I've worked with or know through the community before. And uh, he said, you know what I found out? He said, first of all, these people don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. He said, but when I've got them in a fishing boat, they can't go anywhere. <laughs> they are stuck. I mean, they could jump and swim, I guess, but that hadn't happened yet. He said, Keaton, I've invited these people to church. I have invited them to church. And they're not coming for a host of reasons. But they'll get in that fishing boat with me. And every time, without fail, my heart has been breaking for them for who knows how long. I'm not going to miss a chance to tell them about Jesus. Whoa. And I said, Greg, I hope you're going fishing next Sunday. Now, I'm not advocating that you just skip church all the time. We need each other, don't we? We do. We do. But it's amazing what your boat, your platform can be. Maybe it's a physical boat like Greg's. He had them boys stuck. They weren't going anywhere without hearing about Jesus. Maybe yours is your job that's tough and hard and you don't get fair appreciation for. Be aware that Jesus wants to use that as a platform. So people can see, this guy, this girl's not getting the respect, the compensation they deserve. How are they doing this? You can say, Jesus is the only way I could do this. Whatever it is, maybe it's a tough season of life you're going through right now. Don't miss the fact that Jesus wants to use your platform to proclaim his power and to to make much of the kingdom of God. Every week here we offer ways to respond. And listen, church, today I've been talking to me, okay? To me. I've been very convicted this week. I have put myself in a position where most of the people I interact with are following Jesus. And I've got to change that. Well, I mean... You know what I'm saying. Like, I'm not going to just abandon all you guys that are my friends. But I need to be with people who need Jesus. We all need Jesus. But you know what I'm saying. Because I'm supposed to be wetting that line. I'm supposed to be casting my nets. Am I supposed to be 
reeling in the big catch of the day? Who knows? That's not up to me. Jesus is the one that fills two boats with fish. We're just supposed to cast the net. That's our job. That's my job. And I have not been doing it very well. I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody else, but God has convicted me this week. If I'm really going to be a follower of Jesus, there's no excuse, no exception, no workaround. I have got to be a fisher of men. And church, the church paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's your job as well. If you're not fishing, you're not following. And you may be here today and kind of tuned in when I said that um, you have to have make sure that your sin has been dealt with. And you thought, mm, I thought I was following Jesus, but my sin has never been dealt with. So how do I get that done? Listen, Jesus already took care of it. Jesus left heaven, lived a perfect life, he hung on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. He did it voluntarily. No one restrained him enough to keep him there. He stayed there until it was complete of his own will. He did that to satisfy the wrath of the Father because God is holy and transcendent and he cannot be drugged down by the presence of sin, but Jesus took care of it. He paid the penalty. He satisfied the Father. He gave up his life, and he died because of my sin and because of yours. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, he came back to life on the third day. And the message of the gospel is this, unbeliever, if you're not following Jesus, that he wants to resurrect you as well. You are currently dead in your sin and he's saying, I want to breathe life into you. You need to repent of that sin, to turn away and walk a different direction. And that direction is following Jesus step for step. Paul says it in Galatians, I believe, walking in the spirit. And he wants you to do that today, to experience life, to experience being free from the bondage and slavery that your sin has put you in. I hope that you will respond one of those two ways. If you're a child of God, that you'll get busy wetting that line, casting those nets. And if you're not, I pray that you would allow God to deal with your sin even now. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice for our sin. God, we pray that you would move on our hearts, that you would convict and transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.